0: Hello, and welcome to the LA Venture Podcast, where David Waxman and Minnie Ingersoll, partners and investors at Ten we we've watched Los Angeles grow from a sleepy tech backwater to a bustling mecca of startup opportunity. Through conversations with fellow investors and a few other special guests, we'll deliver an insider's view of the LA tech scene. Today, we're joined by Paul Bricot, managing partner of Amplify LA, one of the earliest and most prominent funds in town. They've seen successes like Bidium, acquired by Google, Clutter, and The Books. Paul is also a venture partner at Graycroft and teaches a course on the impact of technology on media at USC. Welcome, Paul, and thank you for joining us on LA Venture. Happy to be here.
1: Hi, Paul. Hey, Minnie. So why don't we start by asking you about yourself? I know you went out last night, but more, you know, (laughs) tell us other things. Uh, You're Canadian.
2: This is good that this is not uh, visual. As as my friends used to say in high school, I have a great face for radio.
1: (laughs) Welcome. (laughs) Welcome.
2: Um, I mean, immediately prior to Amplify, I was at another fund. I mean, well, I was at Greycroft, as you mentioned, briefly, and then before Graycroft, I'm still at Greycroft. but before Greycroft, I was running a fund called the Mailroom Fund, which was a joint venture between the company that I worked at the time, which was the William Morris uh, Agency and Excel.
1: Was Dustin also at the Mailroom Fund with you?
2: Dustin was my first hire at the Mailroom Fund. He was an associate at the Mailroom Fund. Got it. And was Matt Mazio part of that? No, he was. At Matt th- was at CAA. Oh, sorry, I get them all confused. That's all right. I w- I had many a lunch with Matt as he was trying to figure out how he could convince CAA to do a venture fund, um, and then he ultimately decided, screw, screw that. I'm just going to go leave
0: and join one. Do any of those agency venture funds still actively invest today?
2: Uh, Yeah, it's been a constant sort of uh, cyclical in and out of the business. Uh, So Wayne Morris had a very active fund run by Beth Ferreira. um, And then uh, she sort of kind of took my job. um, And then Beth left and is now a partner at First Mark in New York. uh, And then... UTA has a venture fund which actually just hired uh, Carolyn Jacobs uh, out of BAM Ventures here in LA as their first associate, and that's run by Sam Wick, and they are relatively active, uh, both incubating companies there as well as uh, doing some investing. And CA has been off again, on again, off again, on again. Uh, run by a guy named Michael Yanover, and I think um, they're still investing, uh, but they have sort of a bifurcated piece where they're doing some early stage, and then they have a like a later stage piece because they're backed by TPG, and they have an entity there that does later stage funding.
0: Got it. Well, we'll get back to them for the podcast, but let's let's focus on you for a second. When we met, I think it was like around 2012, and Amplify was getting started as an Correct. accelerator at the time, yes, and um, you're no longer an accelerator. Tell, tell me a little bit about the evolution of Amplify.
2: Yeah, we started in, um, to, let's see, November of 2011, actually. But the first investment, as you point out, was done in 2012. It was Amplify was a byproduct of my background. You mentioned that I teach. So I've been teaching a class which effectively encompasses a bit of entrepreneurship, because everyone has to write a business plan for a startup in the class. The founders of MySpace wrote the business plan for MySpace in my class, Chris DeWolf and Josh Berman. That's how long I've been doing it. (laughs) And and so that combined with the mailroom fund, combined with I've been doing angel investing for well over a decade, uh, as well as sitting on three consecutive mayors of L.A.'s tech councils uh, who have long commented on, why don't we have more? technology, you know, venture in LA. And more podcasts about it. <laughs> more podcasts <laughs> um, led me to this idea of like, Hey, okay, we should have an early stage fund in LA. I have to give the most credit actually to Jim Breyer, who became a mentor for me when we did the Millroom Fund. And he was on the board of the Millroom Fund. He's the managing and partner and founder of Excel, because we had a Board meeting, I guess, or executive meeting one day, um, and he said, "Why aren't there early stage, you know, venture funds in L.A.?" This is in 2008, um, which there weren't at the time. I remember. And he's like, "A week doesn't go by, and you know, when there wasn't an L.A. based entrepreneur like Travis from Uber or David Sachs from Yammer, you know, successful people who are in my office, basically pitching me for capital, and I say, you know, why don't you stay in L.A.?" And they're like, "There's no money in L.A." And he said to me in this meeting, he's like, "LA is never going to be a thing unless you figure out a way to provide the very first check to entrepreneurs because they're always going to leave. And if you can solve for that, you've got a good chance of being a really vibrant tech ecosystem. And so that sort of planted the seed. It took three years to to grow and hatch into Amplify, but that was the catalyst for why we decided to do it. And then I went out. To Richard Wolpert, who was the guy running the Mailroom Fund, and then Oded Noy, and we set it up in 2012. As yes, an accelerator, which I guess I didn't answer your question. So we started off as an accelerator in large part based on that thesis that there needs to be early stage money in LA, and because we were you know somewhat new to the whole thing we thought oh it sounds like we should be an accelerator and then there was this moment in time when a whole bunch of them cropped up as you remember from because you were here at the time uh, all at the same time there was launchpad la which no longer exists and then mucker labs uh which now has sort of a fund uh, attached to it as well much larger fund than they had at the time and we were sort of driven by this idea of like, hey, let's be the first check. And so the accelerator model seemed to be the best. But the more we spent time on the accelerator model, the more we kept dropping the trappings of traditional accelerators. So we never did cohorts. We never did curriculum-based process with speakers coming in and talking on a regular basis. We didn't do a one-size-fits-all, You know, uh, 120,000 for 6% of the company. Uh, We didn't do set term limits in terms of companies in and out for three months. We never did demo days. So we never really looked like a traditional accelerator even to begin with, but we did have physical space, which we still do here in Venice. And uh, we did offer a lot of added value services to the companies. And so we thought, okay, we're sort of like an accelerator. And then over time, we realized what we are is really, especially as this lane opened up over the last two years, the nomenclature changed in venture from this uh, angel or friends and family to now being called sort of a pre-seed. And so when pre-seed opened up, we thought, well, that's really what we are. We're really a pre-seed fund. And so beginning with fund three, we changed the characterization of Amplify to a pre-seed fund with benefits. Got
1: it. Uh, <laughs> I just thought that was funny. Uh,
0: we're here in your <laughs> office and there are a lot of people working downstairs. So, so your companies are
2: mostly still resident when they start? Or is that Yes, most of them stay here. They don't have to. So we don't put a gun to their heads and say you must work in our office, but it's free space. So so on a, like say, some traditional accelerators, we don't charge for the space. Um, it's not part of the equation when we invest. We invest on sort of whatever terms basically make sense for the round. We lead about 90% of the time um, in that early stage round. It's usually first institutional capital in. And then we offer the company, hey, you can work out of our space. But you know, we've had companies that either are not based in LA, which we can get back to, how our geo focus has changed over the years. Because uh, in Fun One it was largely LA, and that's shifted. And then, secondarily, given how massive LA is, as you know, because you're traipsing around with your microphones to various so places it's uh, awesome. in LA, um, you had to helicopter into Venice today. Uh, there, um, there are some entrepreneurs who are based in say Monterey Park or Pasadena and they're like we really don't want to have to drive into Venice every day if we don't have to and so in those situations we say look it's it's up to you you can take advantage of the space or not Got it. so your geographic
0: expansion is to Pasadena
2: or is <laughs>
0: that pretty far that's where Minnie lives what
2: how far did you go uh so in the beginning probably a little bit in Fun too so Fun one was about 90% Uh, uh, SoCal. Fund two was probably about 75 to 80 percent SoCal. So we've slowly started making investments outside of this region. Uh, And in fund three, it was about 60 percent. And in fund four so far, uh, so we've recently closed fund four and we've made 11 investments out of that fund. Five of the 11 are not in L.A.
1: So as a pre-seed with benefits fund, what does that mean in terms of your usual check size that you'd be writing into one of these companies?
2: That so that has shifted, right? So just to give a quick um, overview: so Fund One, we were writing checks around between fifty and one hundred thousand. Fund Two, it changed to one hundred to two hundred and fifty thousand. Fund Three, it changed to two hundred to four hundred thousand. And fund four is 250 to 500. I don't know if that's going to change again. It's hard to say, but that's our current focus. Um, and as I mentioned, sort of we lead the round with that check, but that doesn't mean the round size is just 500. What's also happened, not just in LA, but outside of LA, is that these pre-seed rounds have gotten larger. Um, pre-money valuations have gone up. And so now what we're finding is that we're while we're still leading the round, the round sizes have crept up. To in you know, a fund three, they were sort of hovering around seven hundred and fifty thousand average, and in fund four, they're around a million average. Um, and wow. so, in those cases, we syndicate out to other great funds like you guys or others that are interested in pre-seed, uh, and we'll we'll assemble the rest of the round because we can't write a million dollar check.
1: Is that also reflective of a different stage of traction that the companies you're investing into, or is it a fact that the round sizes have just gotten larger?
2: Yeah, no, it's, we decided to move, you know, sort of, I guess, up the stack, so to speak. So Fund 1, I don't have the exact percentage, but my guess is about 80% of the investments we had in Fund 1 were pre-product, whereas in Fund 3, I think there were two, so more like 10%. Uh, so we've, uh, you know, started... I guess de-risking a little bit by finding companies that are a little bit farther along, and it seems odd in many cases, even to us, but certainly probably to entrepreneurs, when a pre-seed fund says you're too early. Um, But we (laughs) we'll need to go pre-pre-seed. But we frequently do tell people you're too early. You know, go and raise a you know fifty hundred thousand dollar friends and family angel round, and actually get product out. And then we'd be happy to take a look at it, and that does happen from time to time. We will still occasionally do a pre-product investment, uh, but it's become more and more rare. So we also have to look at it as: is this going to be the only opportunity that we're going to have a chance to invest on our terms? Because while our check size is two fifty to five hundred, we're not going to invest in a company that's at YC valuations of you know twelve to fifteen pre.
1: Right. I mean, it seems like uh, we've talked to Dustin, we talked to Will over at Mucker, Luma. Like, who else does real pre seed sort of investing?
2: Well, it's interesting. So, Mucker now has sort of, M- Mucker now sits on both sides of us. I think Will would agree with this. So, they, they used to compete directly with us when we were both accelerators, and then we shifted and they shifted. And now, They have sort of two constituent components where they're super early. So they're doing some pre-product stuff at a very, very early stage. And then they have their fund, which is investing in seed and then some pre-seed. So they've invested in several of our companies after we've invested as as a seed fund. And then the stuff that they're looking at for their incubator slash accelerator, whatever they're calling their, their early piece of mucker labs, I would say in most of those instances, those companies are way too early for us. Um, but in terms of pure pre-seed-focused investors in LA, I would say that, yes, we compete with Luma, uh, Wonder, and with PLG Ventures would probably be the only four that I would say have a singular focus. But because, as I mentioned, round sizes have now crept up in pre-seed, none of us in that group can take the entire round. So it's not like in a situation where Excel and Sequoia are competing for the same deal. And there's no friggin' way in hell the two of them are going to share the deal because they both need to get to their 20% ownership. and So for us, we're constantly talking to all those people and syndicating deals. So it's not a sharp elbow environment at all in pre-seed. We just did a deal with Wonder. We've done a couple of deals with Luma. We've done a few deals with PLG. Uh, and. You know, we've also shared other pre-seed deals with firms outside of L.A.
1: Yeah. Well, you do a great job of, I think, amplifying your companies, too. I was asking David, what does he think, like, some of your biggest secret sauce? And you were saying that Amplify does a great job of helping the companies here connect with everyone who's downstream.
0: I think I might have said that you're a relentless fundraiser. (laughs) And an arm twister.
2: Uh (laughs) <laughs> I'm, a much, I'm a much better fundraiser for our companies than I am for Amplify. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I'm going to have to
0: work on the second piece. So back to the 3,000 companies. I'm trying to get my head around this. Um, Richard has a company that I guess he's now chairman of. Odette is a CTO of a big company. Who else is around that helps do all the work besides yeah. you, yourself? Well,
2: let's, let's characterize the 3,000 in a way that makes sense, right? So we are not taking three thousand partner pitches because that would mean that would be every single day of every single week we'd be taking partner pitches amongst all of us. But um, what that means is that we have a what we call it as as a touch. So company sends either through you or a, a referral or on our website, it shows up somehow, right? Um, or direct to one of our emails, uh, and then we. We evaluate that company quickly. In some cases, it's an immediate pass because of either a sector or we don't think the company's far along. So uh, one of those 3000s could literally take, you know, three minutes to basically come to the determination that it's not for us. Could be out of our stage range, could be out of uh, near. It could be based in Singapore where we're not going to make an investment. Uh, So. And then once it passes that, then what we call a discovery meeting happens, which means one of the six of us here takes a 30, 45 minute meeting with the entrepreneur and then they do a little write up and they send it around to the rest of us. And then we discuss that in our partner meeting. Uh, We go through that funnel and then we say, oh, yeah, this one sounds interesting. Let's do a couple more things. And in some cases, we say, oh, that deal's moving really quickly, and that's super interesting. Let's bring them in for a partner pitch. And so it's a traditional funnel effect, right? Where companies start with a touch, to a discovery meeting, to a partner pitch, and then to diligence, and then to an offer. Uh, you, well,
0: you said six
2: of you. and Six of us. And there's- So, yeah, as you mentioned, you just mentioned two of them, right? So Oded, who was the co-founder and uh, CTO of Trucar, um, and is now the CTO of Zephyr, is part-time with us, but... Part-time with Odette is, you know, worth full-time of a lot of other people, if anyone knows Odette. And then uh, Richard, as you mentioned, uh, was full-time, and then he started a company here that we funded called Hello Tech. He became CEO, now he's chairman, so now he's spending a bit more time here than than he was previously, but still no longer full-time. And then we have three full time people. So we have Amanda Schutzbank, who came from Primary Ventures in New York, who's been with us for three years. And then Eric Packervan, who was at Scopely here in LA and has been here for five years. And then Connor Sundberg, who is a recent computer science business, uh, sorry, a neuroscience uh, business administration. Uh, graduate out of USC and he joined us first as a summer associate and then an analyst and is now an associate with us. Terrific. yeah. And so they're all involved in helping with that funnel and evaluating deals. So everybody basically digs in on evaluating companies because you have to be sort of a jack of all trades when you're you know, trying to look at that many deals and trying to help the existing portfolio uh, post-funding and help them raise capital and provide other value add along the way as well.
0: What are you looking for? Why should people come to Amplify or who should come to Amplify and what's going to get your attention? Are there any particular verticals? I understand the stage is precede, but what else are
2: you... Well, the verticals change, right? So I, I, I can't say, oh, we're looking for this one or that one. Uh, you what know, is it? Heraclitus said you can't step in the same river twice. Uh, in Not just in LA, but in Venture, the 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 verticals are constantly changing that are, quote, in favor, right? Um, because uh, either later stage investors are no longer excited about ad tech, which you would know, David, mm-hmm. uh, from your background as an entrepreneur. Uh, sectors go in and out of favor, right? And sometimes stay out of favor for a very long period of time. Uh, and then other sectors, which didn't even exist as a venture Vertical, like um, for instance, several years ago, blockchain and VR weren't on the roadmap, then they came on the roadmap. Now things like IOT and AI and robotics, which are generally relatively new to venture as categories are starting to merge. Ag tech, construction tech, right? A lot of these areas are relatively new. So we will look at every single vertical except (laughs) for biotech. And uh, generally we will avoid hardware. And the reason for those two specifically is that biotech requires very specific domain experience and acumen, which we don't believe we have. We don't have the capacity internally to manage a company through a clinical trial process. It's just not. That's a very unique set of expertise that's just something that we can't fake. <laughs> um, and then on the hardware side, it's more of a function of the CapEx that's involved. Because we're so early and we don't have a lot of capital available for follow-on, we would get crushed if we were the first investor in, say, space tech, um, SpaceX, sorry, um, or actually any space tech company for that matter, or if we were in a, um, you know, autonomous vehicle company. Similarly, right?
1: Along those lines, I often ask our guests what advice do you give to people who are pitching you. But maybe in your case, can I ask about the class you teach? And you, you have people they write a business plan by for, by the end of the class. What advice, like, if people came away from your class learning? I was gonna say one thing, but three things. <laughs> Learning a couple
2: of things. What do you teach them? One is basically the you know pure sort of analytical skill and 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 being able to sort of uh, I guess question uh, assumptions. So that's one of the things that we hone in a lot in on that class is always question assumptions. And be prepared to defend the assumptions that you do make um, in any business plan or really in any dialogue about whether it's politics or anything, right? Be able to defend your position. Um, And so people have to present in class and basically explain why they're saying what they're doing and why they're building what they're doing and be able to say like, is there competition? Is there not competition and articulate that? So one is to articulately be able to defend your assumptions. And another is, you know, do the work, which is, you know, do the real research that's involved and don't just say, oh, we're going to do a blockchain company and then create sort of this paper mache idea of a blockchain company. Actually understand what's happening at a fundamental level and look at every single company in the space and See the interlineated, you know, navigation between all of them and understand why there is a perhaps an opportunity in one particular area and why that opportunity exists and will it exist for a long period of time and how much capital will it take? Basically, ask questions.
0: Did you ever invest in one of your students? Because MySpace would have been good. (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, so
2: MySpace would have been good. That's before I had a fund, so I regret that one. Uh, but I'm still friends with both Josh and Chris. Um, we um, we did invest. So one of our students, Ivka uh, Adam, launched a company called Iconery, uh, which we did invest in. And Chris Bjornaru, who was also one of my students, actually ended up becoming an employee at Amplify for five years. And there are other similar stories. And a bunch of my students are now very senior executives in various places who have become involved as mentors, advisors, and even investors in LPs and Amplify.
1: Paul, what next for, for Amplify? What are your hopes and dreams for the future, for yourself or for Amplify?
2: We've had a very sort of slow and steady growth over time. And large part, that's been driven by the fact that We've been you know, really hyper-focused on kind of owning this early stage, first institutional check, pre-seed, you know, et cetera, whatever you want to call it, that we've been focused on. And so we've been criticized a lot of, why haven't you guys gone out and raised more funds? Why haven't you guys raised a bigger fund? Uh, and in large part, that was driven by the fact that we thought, okay, we have to get, we want to be the best at what we're going to do, not just in LA, but outside of LA. And so we don't want to start gravitating towards later stage rounds and leading seed rounds or moving up even further into series A and writing smaller checks into those rounds. Let's just continue to sort of hone our skill set at what we think we're best at, at the pattern recognition of finding early stage entrepreneurs and then helping them through each successive stage. That's the one thing that we do here that I think a lot of people talk about doing, but we continue to work with our entrepreneurs even post series C. Um, So long after they've either left our building or, taken our first check from us. We're still involved in our companies um, in a material way in which I don't think super early stage funds traditionally tend to be. uh, And we consider our our entrepreneurs and our companies as part of our family. So that part will never change for us. Uh, But I think with our next fund, we will probably raise more capital, not because we'll change our focus, but just because we want to actually be a better resource to our existing portfolio and being able to provide follow on capital. Because traditionally, it's been a kind of a three to one ratio for us, meaning that, you know, 75% of the capital has been in sort of the first check, and then about 25% has been left for any follow-on. And the normal ratio in venture is the complete opposite or the inverse of that, so more of a one to three ratio. And while we may not get there with our next fund, we want to start to move in that direction so that companies like the Clutters of the World, like you mentioned, or Flowcasts or others that are continuing to be successful in their own right, that we have the ability to continue to, to write checks in subsequent rounds.
1: I didn't know that that was the normal ratio. It was like, was there 3X or something? There was no norm ratio. Okay. Everybody's so different. One, oh, yeah. Four. Okay, yeah. great. Um, so that sounds great. So you'll remain uh, pre-seed with benefits. I love it.
0: What's something I'm going to get into the more whimsical? What's something that people don't know about you? I guess everybody knows I'm
2: Canadian, but I'm Canadian.
1: <laughs> that's oh. I'm, Sophia from Graycroft said that he's like the sommelier for Greycroft for every I'm event right. they call him.
2: Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess that's something that people don't know about me. Uh, I, probably the teaching thing. I mean, people still sort of raise an elbow when I, t- when I tell them I've been teaching for 25 years, which is, you know, a ridiculous amount of time. You're not very tweed coat or something. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not when you teach this class. You can't be a tweed coat. Um, I'm a big gardener, so I have a, sounds weird, but I have a garden on the roof of our house. Um, Which totally makes sense in Venice, by the way. (laughs) Uh, And that's because my father was an entomologist, and my mother also worked for the Department of Environment in Canada, so I grew up with parents that gardened and loved nature, and um, that stuck with me. Uh, So I continue to sort of have that same sensibility, right? Growing things, now we're growing entrepreneurs.
1: Brex is a credit card for startups. If you are a startup, go to brex.com slash LA Venture. You get a better deal by going to brex.com slash LA Venture than you would by going direct to Brex. It is, of course, also better for our podcast. (laughs) If you are a VC, then email LAVenture at Brex.com, and you too can get a special setup for all your portfolio companies. Happy to tell anyone more about why David and I are happy Brex customers. Thank you so much to all of you who are listening to these shows. Just having listeners is actually very cool. We're trying hard to put out content worth listening to, but feel free to send us feedback. Or just rate and review and we'll send you appreciation.